you pass the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. Are you desperate for some healing? Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't say. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. years until the past to disappear oh let me tell you about my jesus and all the wrong turns that you were going under if you could who could work it out for your good let me tell you about my jesus he makes a way where there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can't save about me let me tell you about my jesus oh he makes a way where there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can say let me tell you about my jesus his love is strong and his grace is free and the good news is i know that he can do for you what he's done for me song and what a great truth we find in Hebrews 13 it just simply says as you think about the truth of that song it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever 
what he's done for others, he can do for you. And we are just, that's why we're here to worship today. We want to welcome you here to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. If you're part of East Taylorsville, welcome back. If you are visiting with us today, we hope that you will feel welcome. And we encourage you before you leave, please make your way down the hallway. We have a guest table set up there. We would encourage you to take one of our guest bags there that has some more information about our church as, as we meet on a regular basis. Um, a little bit different now through COVID. But please take one of those uh, bags. Also pick up a mug or one of those things out there. And also feel free if you're visiting, if you have any questions concerning our ministries here, please call us during the week. Our numbers are in the bulletin. We would love to meet with you or answer any questions that you may have. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And as you stand, I want to read just a couple verses down. We read in verse 15 this as we prepare our hearts for worship. Not only is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let's do that this morning.
you know, God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad he did? This morning, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. I want us to remember Barbara Warren's family, her services this past week, and such a dear lady in our church, in our church family. I want to pray for their family. And then I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, his mom passed away, uh, Dorothy Curley, uh, Grady Curley. And uh, they were very instrumental in my faith growing up as a adolescent in high school. I want to remember their family, their services will be tomorrow. Let's go to the Lord in pray, prayer and pray one for another and pray for this service. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your grace. Lord, we want to thank you for your mercy. The Lord is renewed every morning. Lord, when we get up, you're there. Lord, wherever we go, you're there. And Lord, we want to thank you for your presence now, but that you're here. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who loves us and you never leave us. And Lord, you never forsake us. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you that your grace is sufficient for every moment of every day. And Father, we want to worship you this morning. We want to pray for those families that we've mentioned. Lord, who've lost loved ones, we pray that you're a God of all comfort. You'd go and comfort them. And Father, for those in our community who've lost loved ones this past week, Lord, be with them in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray, Father, for our world. It seems like it's upside down. But God, you're sovereign and you're in control. Help us to trust you all that we face in life. And Father, we love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. But it's such a mystery 
Before you, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, I just want to give you a quick update on some things that are going on here. We had a deacons meeting this morning, and uh, the first thing that uh, I would like for you to know is that we're going to continue on this schedule at least through October uh, the 10th, and we're going to meet every second Sunday of the month as, as deacons uh, and make decisions on the facilities, and we feel like what we're doing right now is probably the safest thing to do. And uh, so we're going to be meeting no Sunday school through October 10th at least. Um, facilities are open to be used. Uh, if you want to have a wedding or shower, all those things, they're, they're still open to use because we trust you as adults to make, make good decisions. Uh, but no weekly services or anything like that um, in the foreseeable future because of the number of COVID cases in Alexander County are as high as they were last year when we pretty much locked down everything. So we want to encourage you also that when you come to church, please respect people's space uh, and respect their, uh, respect their time. Please also uh, respect your staff space because if I have to quarantine, the whole office has a quarantine. We don't want to have to do that. Um, and we're just trying to do the best thing. Are we doing the right thing? I don't know. We've never been here before. We told you that when we first started. I will tell you this, though. We had a great year last year. We had the largest giving in the history of East Hazel Baptist Church, so we want to thank you for that. Let's thank the Lord for that. Uh, Missions-wise, we probably give... Gave as much money through offerings and different things to different types of people and different organizations than we ever have. And all this is during a pandemic. Uh, so we're very thankful for what God has, has led us through during this time. It really goes along with this message. If you'll notice in, a, in the first verse here, the first five words are so important. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, if that does not apply to you, the rest of this psalm does not apply to you. If that applies to you, then everything in this psalm applies to you. 
Steve Farrar said that Psalm 23 is the cliff notes of the Christian life because there's so much in there. So my question for you is, if the Lord is your shepherd, are you following the Lord? Because a lot of times sheep go astray, don't they? I mean, a lot of times we as sheep go astray. So the question that you need to ask yourself, if you're going to have a serious church service and apply God's word to your heart, am I following the shepherd? And if you're not, now listen to me, if you're not, you need to be really honest with yourself. Because your spouse probably knows it, your kids probably know it, your parents probably know it, your co-workers probably know it, but the person in the mirror doesn't know it. Sheep are stupid. We are dumb people, are we not? I mean, that's one of the characteristics we found out over 200 times God's word calls us, his children, sheep. We need a shepherd. And it's okay to admit that to yourself. You don't have to confess anything to your pastor. You don't even really have to confess anything to your spouse. But you need to confess everything to Jesus, right? We need to tell him. So the question I have for you today, if we're going to be serious about church study and being a Christian is, am I, as of right now in my life, following Jesus? If so, the blessings that are attached to the Lord being your shepherd, they come eventually. Amen. So if you'll stand with me, let's read verses, we'll read verses 1 through 3. Of course, we all know Psalm 23 is probably the most famous section of Scripture in all the Bible. It's certainly the most famous psalm. David writing here says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And here's the main point. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the thought this morning is this. He restores my soul. That word restores means he brings me back, which means the sheep have gone astray. Right? Even as a Christian, we can all go astray. And if we're honest, at times we do. The Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian ever born, minus Jesus, said this. Sometimes the very things I don't want to do, I do them. And sometimes the things I should do, I don't do. And all of God's people say together, amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray today as your sheep that we would follow our shepherd. Father, I pray that as a church we would follow our shepherd. I feel like we are. Lord, as we met this morning with our deacons, I want to thank you so much for all the men that serve here. They don't have to do this. But Lord, they're following a the shepherd. And Lord, that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to do our will or, or a family's will. We're trying to do your will as best we can. So, Father, we need your, your wisdom. We need your leadership. Father, we need you to guide us down and walk us down, lead us down the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And, Father, as a church and as individuals especially, I pray that we'd be honest with ourselves. Number one, is the Lord my shepherd? Have I, have I ever come to the point in my life where I placed my faith, placed all my hope on Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior? And then, Father, if Jesus is my shepherd, am I following or have I gone astray? And Lord, only I can answer that question. I can't answer it for anybody else. But Lord, I can't answer it for myself. And I pray that everyone in the parking lot, those watching online, Father, those that will watch this week, and Father, those in this congregation this morning, that we would just be honest with you. We'd just be honest. Maybe it's going to be for the first time in our lives that we're honest. And just say to ourselves and to you, that, Lord, I am not following. I have gone astray. And Jesus, please help me help restore my soul. There is nothing greater in life than to have a soul that has been refreshed, replenished, saved, cleansed, and restored. It's amazing how much of life's problems could be solved if we just followed the shepherd in our marriage, 
in our finances, with our hobbies, with our free time, with our Sunday mornings, which are so important. I pray that we would follow our shepherd. And to God be the glory, and for his name's sake, in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's sheep said, Amen. Don't bath, okay? Look at the word restore. He restores my soul. Stephen Lawson put it this way. He's one of my favorite preachers in the world. He said, the word restore means to turn back, to return. The idea is for something or someone to go back to where it previously was. For example, Noah kind of used this word whenever he let the dove, released it from the ark. He said, it will come back. In like manner, the Lord restores David's soul, meaning he brings him back to where he once was before he drifted away and suffered spiritual decline. So literally what David is saying is this. This is for me as much as it is for you. David, a man after God's own heart, oftentimes went off the path. He oftentimes went astray. His life is filled with going astray. When we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you're going to see one of the biggest... Or, or, David is exposed as one of the great adulterers of all time. God, But here he says, Lord, if I follow my shepherd, he will restore my soul. Stephen Lawson goes on to say, when we are down, the Lord lift us, lifts us up. Talking about restoration. When we are discouraged... The Lord encourages us. When we are depleted, the Lord replenishes us. When we are dry, the Lord revives us. When we leave our first love, He brings us back to Him. This is God's continual work of sanctification in our lives. Why? Because we're sheep and He's our shepherd. The shepherd always had to go after sheep. Always. And God is still doing that today. This is what David is talking about, but it starts with following your shepherd. Isn't it amazing how, how, how the view of shepherds have changed even in the Bible? Back in the Old Testament, Abraham was a shepherd. All the greats, for the most part, were shepherds. By the time David comes along, he's probably 16, teenager, 14, 15, 16. And he's given the work of the shepherd because nobody wanted the job. It was the lowest job on the totem pole, if you will. How many of you remember your first job? Let me ask you this question. Did you want to work that job the rest of your life? I was a tow boy in a furniture factory. I've shared this with you before. This is what I'd hear every day. Give me cotton, tow boy. Get me staples, tow boy. And then one day they said this, Hey, tow boy, come get me the frame stretcher. And I went looking for the frame stretcher. I went up into upstairs where they made the frames. They said, Oh, you got to go downstairs and get the frame stretcher, tow boy. So I go downstairs. Oh, I send a cloth room. Frame stretcher in a cloth room? Yeah. Go in a cloth room. And all the ladies, you women that work in furniture factories, said, I think the frame stretcher's out back. So I go out back looking for the frame stretcher. Guess what? There's no such thing as a frame stretcher. They just sent me after the frame stretcher because I was the tow boy, right? Kind of like a shepherd. Nobody wanted the job. Nobody. Nobody wanted to be the shepherd their whole life. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Jesus' day, these are the four characteristics of shepherds in Jesus' day. They were looked down upon. They were all considered unclean because of where they had to work. They were considered social outcasts. One Philip Keller said this, Since they were constantly on the move to find new pasture for their flocks, they were looked on with suspicion. Kind of the way people today might look at gypsies or carnival workers. They were often accused of being thieves. If something came up missing, it must have been the shepherds. So they were considered unclean, social outcasts. And they're always lonely because they just worked with sheep all day. A lot of scholars believe that's why David became good musically. Nothing else to do. Count the stars and play, play a musical instrument. So a lot of shepherds could play a flute or something like that. They were also considered very insignificant, like a toe boy. Your job don't matter. If you quit tomorrow, we'll just hire somebody else at $4.50 an hour. And all the God's people said, those were the days. Amen? Back in those days. 
It was just a lowly profession. It was the lowliest of tasks. They were basically ignorant. Most were uneducated. They were unskilled. And probably for the most part, they said, my job and my life literally has no purpose. But guess what? The first evangelists in the New Testament were shepherds. You remember that? They were watching their flocks in the field. And then the angel came to them and said, a baby's been born. And the shepherds, one, one scholar put it this way, as the first evangelists of the New Testament era, they did not emphasize what it was like to see an angel or hear the angelic choir, nor did they dwell on how frightened they were. Their main interest was in reporting this, which was told them concerning the child. They, they talked about Jesus, the shepherds did. And, and think about this, Jesus called himself, we looked at this in the first message in this series, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Okay, Jesus is the shepherd, so when David writes this, he writes it from the perspective of not being a shepherd, which he could have because he was a shepherd, right? He wrote it from the perspective of being a sheep. Because over 200 times again, God's word calls his children sheep. And, and Peter says there will come a day when the chief shepherd shall appear and lead all his children. So God leads us. He does not push us, but he leads us. If God is leading you to it, he will see you through it. So let's think about this for a moment. In order to have a soul that is restored, notice verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Okay, This is my thought on this, and, and I get it from several uh, great preachers because a lot of people take this and they go so many different ways. Philip Keller's written a book on Psalm 23 from the perspective of a shepherd. He was an actual shepherd, and he says there's four reasons that sheep will not lay down in green pastures. Number one, it's hard to find green pastures, number one. A shepherd oftentimes would make the green pastures if he was a good shepherd. But they, they get frightened easily. He said a jackrabbit could jump out from behind a bush and the sheep would stampede themselves. If one sheep acts like a bully over the other sheep, they will not lie down. They won't do it. But the main thing is this. If they are hungry, they will not lie down until they are fed. And a lot of scholars will say this. Well, what could God be talking about? How are we fed? We're fed through God's word. If you want a restored soul, God will always lead you to his word. God's word. The first point here is God's word is where God will lead you. And think about these characteristics of God's word. Notice these on the screen. These are so important. I tell you all the time, there's no, there's no book greater than this book. If God wrote a book, he did. It's amazing to me how many of God's sheep will not spend time in God's word when all these characteristics are so true. Notice the first one. This book is inspired. Listen to how John MacArthur put it. When Christians claim Scripture is inspired, what do they mean? Inspiration is about the relationship between God and the Bible's authors. These men weren't inspired in the way we typically use the word today. It's not as if the Apostle Paul saw a gorgeous sunset and then wrote Galatians. Nor does it mean he would enter some catonic state, recite a bunch of words to a friend, then pick up the parchment and say, let's see what God wrote. First and foremost, inspiration has to do with the fact that the Bible, the Bible's ultimate authority is God. Paul wrote to Timothy, encouraging young Timothy to stick with the book, and he said this, all scripture, all of it, every bit of it, now listen to this, is God-breathed, and since it's God-breathed, it's useful for, for teaching, what else can you teach? Rebuking, so if you're going to rebuke, use God's word, where it applies, correcting, when I counsel and they ask my opinion, I'll say, well, God's word says this. It's a correction thing. The same thing that applies to you, my brother, applies to me. Okay? Correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What else are you going to preach if you don't preach the Bible? It's inspired. 
It's the only book that has ever been written that has been inspired. No other books have ever been inspired. God has not breathed on any other books. There are no other revelations. You have the Bible, and that's it. MacArthur goes on to say, The entirety of the Bible is God-breathed, exhaled from God. No wonder it's commonly referred to as God's Word. If God authored it, though, then what were Moses, David, Paul, and John, and all the rest doing? Weren't they writing Holy Scripture too? Exactly, the Bible was written by God and humans, or more precisely, by God through humans. And Peter explains it this way. We, we, we saw the Apostle Paul's thoughts on it. Listen to what Peter says. Above all, in 2 Peter 1, he says, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. It wasn't their idea. None of it. Absolutely none of it. For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's inspiration. This book that you can make a part of your life or not, and I would dare say that most of us don't on a daily basis, is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. The only book on the planet that is inspired or ever has been inspired is this book that you hold in your hand. Okay? It is inspired. How are you going to have your soul restored Read a book that's been inspired. It is also true. I love how one, one scholar put it. God's word is true because God's character is true. He's not a liar. The God of truth cannot speak false words. To doubt the truthfulness of God's word is to doubt the truthfulness of God himself. So is God true? If this book is inspired, it has to be true. If the Bible isn't fully reliable at every point, how can we be certain it's fully reliable at any point? If you look to Scripture itself, listen to what Scripture said about itself. In Psalms 12 and Proverbs 30, it says, Every word described here is flawless. Psalm 119, Isaiah 40, Matthew 24, Jesus speaking, says, This word is eternal, it will live forever. The only book that's ever been written that will live forever is this book. Not only that, but it's unbreakable. John, Jesus saying in John 10, 35, he says, This book is unbreakable. Psalm 119 says it's boundless in perfection. Peter says it's completely reliable. Jesus affirmed it concisely when he said this in John 17, 17. God's word, which means inspired, is truth. So Jesus said this book is inspired. It is also true. Scripture's truthfulness is so comprehensively assumed, in fact, that entire arguments can hinge on appeals to a single word. Jesus uses that in Matthew 22, 45. He makes his arguments from the Bible. Even used a noun in Galatians 3.16 and a tense of a verb in Matthew 2.32 because it is it's not only inspired, it's true, it also gives us all authority. Now the Bible is not the only authority because the Bible says this about, about this. Parents have authority. Pastors have authority in church settings. Government officials have a certain amount of authority. But one scholar goes on to say, none, however, is above God's word. None. Parents aren't, pastors aren't, government is not. God's word stands true and it has authority over all institutions and all structures of society. The Bible is the Supreme Court. This means the correctness of every belief, value, opinion, statement, and sermon is finally settled by the question, what does the Bible say? I hear sermons all the time and I'm like, where did you get that? Because you didn't get it from the Bible. You didn't get it from the Bible. Listen, don't go to churches that don't preach the Bible. Why would you waste your time? Why would you waste your finances? Life is too short. Why would you go to a church that does not exposit Scripture every Sunday? I would not waste my time. Because this is the, the authoritative book. 
What does the Bible say? Jesus himself appealed to each part of Scripture and to each element of Scripture as to an unimpeachable authority. Kings don't give advice, do they? They give orders. The king wrote a book. Obedience to the word of God, therefore, is not optional. Listen to what the Lord's brother says. Listen to what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, the Apostle James writes. Do what it says. J.C. Ryle said this, Happy is the man who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it. Why? Because it is authoritative. God has the right to tell you what to do. God has the right to tell you what is right and what is wrong. That's why you need to be in God's Word. Not only that, but according to the Bible itself, it is sufficient. MacArthur put it this way, Scripture contains all the words from God that we need in order to know Him truly, trust Him fully, and obey Him perfectly, and enjoy Him abundantly. Peter says that God has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge available in the Scriptures. Likewise, Paul says the Bible is so complete that through it we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly in every, not partly and most, it doesn't get, get more comprehensive than that. While the Bible may not tell us everything we want to know, it tells us everything we need to know. And also the Bible says it's about itself. It is powerful. Since the Bible's ultimate author is God, the book is, has unparalleled power. Jeremiah says that it's strong enough to melt hearts. Jesus said that it's strong enough to change your life. And and book of Hebrews tells us this, the Word of God is alive and active. Always working. I always shared this... Uh, this, this analogy, and y'all, y'all, some of y'all get it if you're new here or if you're watching online you've never heard me share this illustration. My grandfather had cows, and he had an electric fence. Now, for a long time, he didn't, and the cows would get out. He had an electric fence, right? And he told us, he said, boys, come here. We're like 10, you know, me and my brother and our friends. So long as this light's blinking, all right, the middle wire of this fence had three wires. is electric. I don't care where you go on the farm. It's electric. We were like, there ain't no way. Well, ain't no way. So we go to the furthest part of the fence, which was in the woods. Nobody was there but me and my brother. And I said, let's try it, Jeff. <laughs> you go first. Jeff said, all right. And I won't tell you how he tried it, but he tried it, and it was electric, all right? Let your imagination run wild, okay? But he tried it, and I said, I'll never do that again in my life because it didn't matter where we went. As long as that light was blinking, all right, it was working. I'll tell you this, I don't care if you're in Haiti, the Philippines, the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, this book is alive and active. I don't care if you're in a hospital room or at a funeral service, this book is alive and active. That's why you need to apply it to your lives and take God's word with you everywhere you go in life because the Bible says about itself, the word of God, this word that is inspired, true, authoritative, is sufficient, it is powerful. The word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible, Hebrews goes on to say, everything is naked and open to him to whom we must give an account. You know what that word open means? It comes from the uh, wrestling term back in those days where a man would grab somebody by the net throat and look, make him look him in the eye. All right? And what God's word does, all right, when you read it, is it makes you look God right in the face. Hard to lie, isn't it? My grandfather used to always tell me this. Who was the best man at my wedding, one of, the, one of the greatest men to ever live, was Asa Kerrigan. And he'd say this. When I'd get in trouble, and that was often, boy, look me in the eyes. That was bad, bad times because I could not lie to the man. All right? 
God's word will say this, boy, look me in the eyes. See, that's why, that's why people avoid reading God's word and they avoid churches that preach the Bible. Because you've got to look God face to face. And a lot of times we don't want to do that because we're sheep. All right? Because we're sheep. But this book that is inspired by God, it is true, authoritative, sufficient, it is so powerful. Why would you not? You want to lie down in green pastures and rest? Just spend time in the Word. It's the greatest thing that you can do for your soul. It is also the only book in the world that is totally Christ-centered. The resurrected Savior appears to two followers on the road to Emmaus, and Luke recounts what happens. Dr. Luke, Luke is one of the greatest books in the Bible. And Jesus said to these two men, they were talking about the Messiah, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe, listen, that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And in his glory, he's talking about the whole Old Testament, talking about this Messiah coming, every bit of it. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's almost like Jesus very quickly takes all this, okay, and says, this is all about me. He explains it. He exposited scripture to these men walking along the road. And then he appears to the disciples, and this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus affirms the truthfulness of the Old Testament by saying, it all points to me, every bit of it. Every bit of it points to me. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. It wasn't just after his resurrection that Jesus spoke this way. During his earthly ministry, he explained to the Bible experts of his day. He said this in John 5. He says, you study the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, diligently, and they did. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote, wrote about me. A divine divinity claim Jesus just made that all the Old Testament is about me. One scholar says, it's been rightly noted that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation. The plot line of Scripture anticipates spotlights and finds its ultimate resolution in God's redeeming Son. The most precious treasure you have on the planet is this book in my hand right here. This book. Isn't it amazing how sheep can have their souls restored just like laying down in green pastures if we'll rest in this word and read it, memorize it, study it, let it be a part of your life. But what are we? We're sheep. That's why we don't do it. It's amazing how sheep will avoid green pastures to go to the barren lands. It's just amazing to me. This, the Bible says this about itself. In Jeremiah, he called this book our food. Moses called it in Deuteronomy 32 our life. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, he says it's our comfort, our strength, and our guide. He goes on to say it's our desire. Psalm 130 verse 5 says this book is our hope. Psalm 119 again says this is our love. Jesus said it's our joy. And then the psalmist once again says it's our treasure. One Dustin Binge said this. The Bible is, listen to me now, as a, as a sheep along with you, listen to this. The Bible is better than visions, more reliable than emotions, greater than miracles. More trustworthy than experience, stronger than tr tradition. Do you want to know God? And then he says this, do you want to know God? Then read the Bible. Do you want your soul restored? Then you've got to read the Bible. That's God's word. The second thing here is God's will. Notice, he says this. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. Now notice, he leads. 
be beside the still waters. He leads me. God leads us places. That's part of his will for your life. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Notice this verse on the screen, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Notice what Paul says, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, not from yourselves. You can't save yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. You understand? You can't do works to be saved so that no one can boast. Because if you can do works to be saved, then you can worship yourself. Notice what he says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Yours and mine are different. That's why God sovereignly equips us with spiritual gifts. God doesn't call everybody to sing. I can prove it to you after church if you want me to. He hadn't called us all to sing. Okay? God hadn't called us all to preach. God hadn't called us all to teach. God hadn't called us all to be missionaries. God has not called me to be an international missionary. He has not. All right? He has not. God has not called me to do certain things. He has not called you to do that either. But what has he called you to do? Okay? He has, he has, we know this, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for this, which means a couple things. Think about this. It means God has a plan for your life. Uh, I think Job said the span of our days are numbered, which means this, you cannot die until God's done with you. You can't. Not until God is done with you. Uh, the Bible says it is appointed for man once to die. It doesn't say it's suggested or it may happen. It's appointed. But you cannot die until your work on earth is done. God's will will not fail. John the Baptist, Jesus said he was the greatest man born of woman, preached a message, got thrown in jail, not only had his head cut off, but had it served on a platter. God was done with him. The Apostle Paul, a tradition says Nero had him executed in prison. Prison, excuse me, Christianity's greatest theologian. We don't know how old he was, but listen, God was done with him. Disciple John, who was on the Isle of Patmos, tradition says he left Patmos after a long time where he got the vision of Revelation, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Think about this. John outlived Peter, Mark, Luke, even Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John, book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then, guess what? He died. Why? Because God was done with him. Think about this. You cannot outlive God's will for your life. Or die until he's done with you. Think about God's will, God's moral will. Notice, to do good works. God has called his sheep to do good works. That's part of God's moral will for your life. You, you look at the ministry will that God has for us. And for some of you, it's just going to be what you do at your workplace. Okay, The greatest mission field for an adult is the workplace. I led more people to Christ at Taylor King probably than I have even in ministry. That's your workplace. That's why Paul said... Even when you work, do it to the glory of God. Because that is your mission field, wherever you are. That's God's will for your life at that moment. But we also have God's will more will. That's to do good works. Do you think it's just happenstance that we were the shelter for the largest natural disaster in Alexander County history? God had called us to it, and, we, and, and what we took was a responsibility for that. Think about how God does things in your life on a daily day basis. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever buy anything on Facebook? It's okay to admit it. It's okay. We, we buy baby stuff on there for kids because we're grandparents. And I remember one day, Renee will just send me a text. Go to such and such address and get this. I Vimeo'd, is that what you call it? I don't know what you call it, where you send money uh, to people on their phone. It's paid for. Just knock on the door and they'll hand it to you. Tell them who you are. I said, okay. 
So I'm driving out somewhere. It's always some address I've never been to. And I'm driving out here. And I'm like, oh, I hope these people are nice. And I see the mailbox. I see this name. And I'm like, I know this person, I think. Man, I think I've been out here before. And look, God is my witness. This is not some preacher being super spiritual for a sermon. I just talked about this person two months with a buddy of mine before because of his health issues. I said, I wonder where this person is. So I go into the house. The lady lets me in. She's sweet as she can be. I said, I'm here to get this. She said, I know who you are. You're Jamie Steele. I said, yeah. And I said, is that so-and-so's daughter? And she said, yeah. I said, are you kidding me? She said, he's in there in the bed. He, he's, he's a little bit older than me, and he's, he's bedridden for the rest of his life because of health issues. For the rest of his life. One of my buddies from school. And I said, isn't it amazing how God works? And then I said this like I always do. Is there anything we can do for you? Well, as a matter of fact, you can. This person said, look, in my son's room, and just water coming through where it rained. Wow, we don't got a roof. I thought, man, a roof. Man, need a ramp. Need a hospital bed. You know what happened within six months? Roof, ramp, hospital bed. Why? Because God has called us to do good works, right? You were a part of that. You didn't even know it. Because you entrust your staff to do good works with the money that you've been given. Now, is that just, is that just a coincidence? I don't believe in luck and I don't believe in coincidences because I'm following a shepherd who leads me, right? To do good works that God had prepared in advance for us to do. Think about that. God's moral will shouldn't be, shouldn't be hard. And, I, and, and to get on another tougher subject, notice what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians about God's will. For following the shepherd, for this is the will of God. Stop right there. No questions about it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And all of God's people said, what? Amen. Now think about this for a minute. This is, you will know God's will for your life if you're following a shepherd. Look at the word sexual morality. It comes from the word pornea, which mainly, which mainly means fornication. That is, two people act as if they're married when they're not married. Touching each other and sleeping together in a way God designed only for a man and woman in a married relationship. God said this close physical relationship is for married people only. A man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, that shall become one flesh. So I would tell you this, okay, based on God's word and God's will, that if you're here today or listening or whatever, and you're living in that type of relationship, you're not following your shepherd, number one, and it's not God's will for your life. I think we'd all come to that simple conclusion, right? Then he goes on to say this, that each one of you may know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. He says that each one of us, God's will is for us to know how to control our body in holiness and honor. And I would say this, if you've been involved in that type of relationship, there's grace for that. There's grace for everything, amen? Now think about this, not in the passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know. What he's saying is this, that if you're living that way, you're living like a Gentile who doesn't even know that God exists. That's how blunt Paul is here. He says this, uh, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Now think about this for a minute. Look at the word defraud his brother. You know what he's talking about there? A marriage relationship. Men, look at me, okay, as you pastor. Can I just be blunt with you? It's never God's will for you to sleep with another man's wife. Ladies, look at me. It's never God's will for you to sleep with, a, with a, a, another woman's husband. It's never God's will for you to commit adultery. It's never God's will for that. So if you ask me, okay, I've, I've had people over my time in ministry, you, believe it or not, who'll look at me in the eye and say, it's God's will, I'll leave my wife. And I'll go, no, it's not. 
Not in that situation. Now, there are times when you have that right to do that. Okay? There are times when you have that right, but I'm talking about just in a purely passionate situation. Okay? In, in, in a way where you say, I like this person better than my spouse, therefore I'm going to leave my spouse and be with this person because my flesh desires this person. It's never God's will for that. And there are, there are perfectly good examples for people to get a divorce, and people should at times. If, if things are inevitable and they cannot work out, if there's abuse, if there's all those things, my advice for you is to leave that person, leave that relationship. And God offers you the right to do that. But it's not God's will for you just because you have certain desires to be with another person's spouse. And I would say this, God is leading you somewhere. There's peace in knowing your purpose and that you're following God's will for your life. Now notice the third thing here. He also leads us, it goes right along with what I was talking about. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's God's way. And I'll say this again. The writer of Proverbs said this, As a bird leaves his nest, so does a man or a woman leave their way. It's so easy for us to go off the path. Stephen Lawson said this, These paths are represented in the, in the plural, indicating their comprehensive nature. They include every area of David's life, including his personal family and work life. No part of his life is to be lived excluded from these paths. Every choice he makes and every act he performs is to be conducted in, on this clearly marked route. David knows that the Lord will never lead him into sin. Instead, he'll be directed away from iniquity. David could never lay blame on God for any moral failures in his life, and he had many. Such responsibility and accountability always lays at his own feet. God will never lead you down the paths of unrighteousness. But notice what the Bible says in these verses. Isaiah 53, this is us. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's why he restores your soul, because you go astray. All of us have. You know, there's no super spiritual people in this church. We're just sheep trying to follow a shepherd. Each of us has turned to his own way at some point in time in your life. And then the writer of Proverbs says this, there's a way that seems right to man. Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem right? I know it's wrong, but doesn't it seem right? Doesn't it feel right? How could something that feels so right be so wrong? They should write a song about that. But in the end, it leads to what? Death. Your, your Savior will not lead you down that path. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So all the paths that you take in life, if you're following your shepherd, lead to a righteousness for His name's sake. You're representing God every day. Paul put it this way to the church at Corinth. You are Christ's ambassadors. What a great calling. What a tremendous calling. You say, well, I'm just a whatever at, at this workplace. No, you're not just a whatever. You're an ambassador for Christ. And you're walking down paths every day of your life. Walk down good, clearly marked paths. So here's my question. Okay? In closing, are you going down paths of righteousness right now in your life? And only you can answer those questions. You don't got to come tell me about it. You don't have to. I'll pray for you. You don't got to tell me. Are you going down paths of righteousness? Are you right with the Lord? Now let me ask you a question. God is leading as of right now in your life. Are you following Him? Are you following Him? Or are you going astray? Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. The first thing I would ask you is this. Is the Lord your shepherd? If not, the Bible says to repent and place your faith in the resurrected Christ for your only hope for salvation. 
Confess your need for a Savior and place your faith and hope and trust in Christ. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's a promise. God's Word is true. It's authoritative. It's powerful. All those things. It's sufficient for your salvation. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. And then, uh, as Christians, let me ask you a question. Are you following the Lord? Are you following the Lord in your finances? Are you following the Lord in your family time? Are you following the Lord in your free time? Are you involved in any relationships that you should not be? Then today's the day for your soul to be restored. And pray a prayer of repentance now in the quietness of this moment and confess to the Lord your sin and confess to the Lord your desire to follow your shepherd once again and ask God to restore your soul. Those are things that only He can do. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we thank you so much for your word. Father, the most important, precious, powerful book on the planet, probably for the majority of Americans especially, is the most neglected. Forgive us. Lord, we'll never lay down in green pastures until we feed on your word. And then, Father you, have, Father, you have a will for us. Lord, a good moral will to do good works, to do good things. Father, everything that's done in your name that you've called us to is good work. Lord, really the only thing ordained in Alexander County that you've ordained that's happening today is what's happening here in the churches in Alexander County. You've ordained that. You haven't ordained a lot of other things, even though they're important and necessary, but Lord, what you've, you've ordained this. You've called us to assemble together as people, as your, as your church. You've called us to read and study and sing your word, and you've called us to obey it. Father, help us, Lord, to follow our shepherd. Father, restore our souls. And we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. And we love you today. Thank you for being a good shepherd. Because I sure need it. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. And I, and I hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thank you and you're dismissed.